ladies and gentlemen welcome to another episode of straight talking english i am coming to you to talk about of mice and men as part of our mini series on of mice and men convenient little break between the victorian novels and my next project which is the poetry sdr8 talk english on twitter straighttalkingenglish.com and i have a patreon patreon forward slash straight talking english if you like what i do if you would like to donate to what i'm doing and support me do that i would really really appreciate it all right today i am going to talk to you about george and lenny the two main characters in of mice and men first up why do they talk like that why why does my laptop autocorrect family from chapter one into family well the answer is that's how people spoke like i don't want to fall back on that really stupid explanation of well that was how people talked back then but it actually was steinbeck had this agenda to make his character authentic and based the way he wrote their dialogue on the way people around him spoke it's not laziness per se it's just because he really really loved dialects and accents he said one of my purposes was to listen to hear speak accent speech rhythms overtones and emphasis for speech is so much more than words and sentences that's pretty cool that's pretty cool so apparently that must be quite close to how people spoke in the 1930s so any real people who inspired there well lenny according to steinbeck giving an interview a few years after lenny was a real person and this is kind of grim i'm warning you now he said lenny was a real person he's in an insane asylum in california right now i worked alongside him for many weeks he didn't kill a girl he killed a ranch foreman got sore because the boss had fired his pal and stuck a pitchfork right through his stomach i hate to tell you how many times i saw him do it we couldn't stop him until it was too late oh right right like seriously everything i research about steinbeck it just gets more grim so yeah he witnessed this lenny type uh stabbing someone with a pitch and part of me thinks the scene in chapter three where they have to get lenny off curly that strikes me as being quite similar to what he's describing so perhaps that is based on real life there's also and i always found this really creepy when i was teaching it the bit in chapter five when they're talking about the barn just before lenny and curly's wife walk in it says one end of the great barn was piled high with new hay and over the pile hung the four-taloned jackson fork suspended from its pulley oh i thought that was well creepy just like a sharp fork hanging down above you and that's how it's opened and part of me may be thinking that's the same fork also what it reminds me of is i had an ex-boyfriend when i was at university who was one of these um i think we call them neck beards nowadays but this is back in the day before such a term was invented and he bought an ornamental sword that looked like something genghis khan would have and he insisted on putting it above his bed 
feet right on the wall mounted and I found this to be a little bit worrying because there's me sleeping there in the bed and there's like a bloody great sword above my head I'm like how much faith do you have in the screws to hold this thing up um it didn't ever fall on my head which was pretty exciting quite pleased with that but that's all I'm thinking of is the lurking death above me when trying to have a little sleep age 19 and so we're thinking about George and Lenny's relationship one way that we can look at their relationship is through the bible right i swear like whenever someone asks you what use is rs or re in later life you've got to say in case you become a podcaster and have to research like literary references because they are all biblical i'm thinking of course of the parable of cain and abel from the old testament and i'm forever indebted to one of my students Teresa, who explained exactly how it fits with the story so right you've got adam and eve they're kicked out the garden of eden and eve gets pregnant and gives birth to a son called cain then she has a son called abel abel looks after the sheep cain works the soil and this is a bit quoting from uh, the king james bible in the course of time cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the lord and abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock the lord looked with favor on abel and his offspring but on cain and his offering he did not look with favor so cain was very angry and his face was downcast the lord said to cain why are you angry why is your face downcast if you do what is right will you not be accepted but if you do not do what is right sin is crouching at your door it desires to have you but you must rule over it now cain said to his brother abel let's go out to the field while they were in your in the field cain attacked his brother abel and killed him then the lord said to cain where is your brother abel i don't know he replied am i my brother's keeper the lord said what have you done listen your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand when you work the earth it will no longer yield its crops for you you will become a restless wanderer on the earth now the thing that really struck me that this parable might have something to do with of mice and men is because the version i just read you which i said was king james bible and it just says he killed but according to my student who is a person of faith he kills him by hitting him in the back of the head which is of my cement where um george kills lenny by shooting him at the base of the skull all right so if we've got this central image as being the same let's look at this story again both of them work the soil and so we got that as well parable says they're brothers okay of my cement there's a lot of interpretations about how their relationship can be seen is it like human and pet is it like father and son but for me for example we could say that your best friend is as close as your brother we can they're probably as close as family since they're the only two guys that go around together it's this question of am i my brother's keeper is george responsible for what lenny does has he taken on this role of being the keeper in charge is it his because he didn't watch Lenny I mean we've got to take it out of our modern context because we know critically 
like you can't watch someone all the time if you're a carer you're entitled to respite absolutely but is that the question that Steinbeck's bringing up is he his brother's keeper the other thing is Steinbeck for someone who's not necessarily the most religious he's a little bit obsessed with the idea of California as the Garden of Eden this is not just a thing that Steinbeck made up California is presented as a literal Garden of Eden. There's a really famous, um, what would now be a televangelist, but a really famous female preacher who at the time described it as being an Eden. There's a really famous song called Do Re Me by Woody Guthrie that has the chorus, California is the Garden of Eden. If you want to listen to that, Google um, the Mumford and Sons uh, Elvis Costello version because it's actually gorgeous. It's half of Ghost of Tom Joad by Springsteen and half of Woody Guthrie. So we've got this perception of California as Eden. All right, so Cain and Abel, Cain is kicked out. He is under a curse. He is driven from the area. All right, we're talking the fall of man from paradise. They are in this wonderful paradise. Something happens. They can never return. This thing is a thing that Steinbeck is kind of obsessed with again. It comes up in Grapes of Wrath, where there's a family called the Jodes who are driven from their land and they're in search of regaining their paradise there's also the fact that one of his books which is loosely based on his family tree is called east of eden so the whole thing can be seen as like an analogy for the cain and abel story the analogy for like biblical references hmm comes up again as well william goldhurst a critic who undoubtedly knows way more about this than me argues that candy and crooks joining the farm gives george the hope that this curse of cain might be broken this is the high point of optimism says goldhurst as regards the main theme of the story this is the point where a possible reversal of the curse of cain seems more likely the answer is like for example someone could be saying at that point yeah you are your brother's keeper but the curse cannot ever really be broken we are all restless wanderers upon this earth it is the modern counterpoint let's talk about their relationship as if it was adult and child there another critic called mark spilkark again smarter than me notes that not only lenny's surname small implies this is a valid interpretation small things are small you know that's that's my thought for the day but spilker says that the low threshold between rage and pleasure which we all carry within us to adulthood lenny holds this but by adulthood, we've all learned to take precautions which an idiot never learns to take. For a sec, um, he's referring to an idiot as like, um, like an innocent person, like someone who doesn't participate in society. He doesn't mean it as like a criticism of someone who's got a lower IQ. It's like um, Dostoevsky's famous story, The Idiot which is someone who's removed from society. The force and readiness of our feelings continue, but through diversions and disguises, through civilised controls, we raise the threshold of reactions. That's the difference emotionally between Lenny and ourselves. Lenny cannot rationally make choices, 
Lenny acts on impulse and he hasn't learned the self-control not to do whatever he thinks of. Lenny is the first time a character like this comes up in Steinbeck's writing, but East of Eden and Grapes of Wrath both have very uh, Lenny-like characters in them. So this is, Lenny is like his first draft. He's quite like stick figure of this sort of character who doesn't have a control, who is quite childlike. Could we see this is a bit of Steinbeck? He has a lot of rages. He is a drunk. He has um, mental health issues. And because this story takes place in the 1930s, we don't have the option of any kind of positive support. So he just gets into a massive rage. This could be a link. Let's talk a little bit about America and Americans as well, because George and Lenny are these archetypal characters. They are the American characters. We could talk about violence in American society too. It is a more violent time than now. I mean, purely because there's much less regulation of the law. So one way that they do represent wider America is through their violence. I honestly don't want to read this one particular anecdote to you because it's vile. But in Woody Guthrie's autobiography, he describes a, uh, a character deciding to throw kittens at a wall until they die and Guthrie kind of just notes this as like a little anecdote in his growing up to show how he's how sensitive he felt as a child and that sort of stuff is kind of normal if you joined a union and with all the jobs that are being lost in the great depression perfectly reasonable to join a union but these unions if you had a demonstration there is absolutely no like protection or no regulation about what a demonstration might involve and there is one that's known as bloody thursday this guy called royce Breyer reported on a longshoreman strike in 1934 a longshoreman is that guy that like loads and unloads stuff off a ship. If you've read A View from the Bridge by Arthur Miller, that's what Eddie's job is. His report starts off, Blood ran red in the streets of San Francisco yesterday. In the darkest day this city has known since April 19th, 1906, 1,000 embattled police held up. 5,000 longshoremen and their sympathisers in a sweeping front south of Market Street and east of 2nd Street. The furies of street warfare raged for hour piled upon hour. Two were dead, one was dying, 32 others shot and more than three score, 60, sent to hospitals. Hundreds were injured and badly gassed. Still, the strikers surged up and down the sunlit streets among thousands of foolhardy spectators. Still, the clouds of tear gas, the very air darkened with hurtling bricks. Still, the revolver battles. 
At the middle of the day, as the middle of the day wore on, in indescribable turmoil, the savagery of the conflict was in rising crescendo. The milling mobs fought with greater desperation, knowing the troops were coming. The police held to hard-won territory with grim resolution. And that's reported as just, like, unpleasant, but standard. America is also, at this point, a place that we would recognise in terms of like mass media people are people are people not everything is totally different if we're talking about true crime podcasts and i've mentioned this when i was talking about my god what's that book i did sign of four i've blocked it from my mind people love true crime think of all the people that listened to the first season of serial and are now like campaigning for the subject of it to get released from prison think of the people who love making a murderer i blooming love all killer no filler which is run by two fabulous female comics i like true crime all the time as well which is um i like the guys voices they're quite soothing so that's my true crime recommendations i hope you enjoy them people in the 30s also loved it violence is normal normalized violence has that media presence that we do now let me tell you about a guy who is called harry powers the notorious lady killer i'm doing wobbly eyebrows right now but you can't see them he was a con man and he called himself harry powers we don't know what his real name was he courted wealthy middle-aged women through what's called matrimonial agencies like the tinder of the 30s where you put an advert in the paper like i'm single does anyone fancy me and then he tried to kill them he imprisoned and murdered an illinois widow her three children who were 14 12 and 9 and a massachusetts divorcee it was this murder was the first nationally sensationalized one it was turned into a novel and a film america at the time is enjoying these dramatic things at the time of his arrest powers was writing to more than 200 women and he uh, just copied phrases out of romance magazines and uh, things for Rudolph Valentino had said. I'm like, oh my days. <laughs> Let's talk about another violent pastime that people enjoy, which is not uh, reading about murders. Let's talk about boxing. Curly Blooming loves boxing. And that makes him pretty normal 20s is the point where boxing emerged from the stone ages metaphorically you had the first like boxing superstars you have these mega matches you have film cameras you have radio you have this what's called the golden age of boxing by people who know this it's a sport that you can do with basically no equipment and it's a sport that you can do if say you had some military training like a lot of people returning from the first world war did with essentially people like beating each other up 
even though this is the golden age of boxing the sport as we know it which is like regulated and they have doctors on hand and stuff no 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 this is not what we're talking about we're talking about sketchy stuff but still this is like what's becoming a mainstream thing we listen to it's a report on the radio of like guys punching each other um, there's a very, very, very notorious pub near my house. We, well, no, it's relatively near my house, called the Yorkshire Grey. And I always thought that was a weird name, but apparently it was a bare-knuckle boxing spot in the 1960s. And it was notorious for it. I'm like, oh, great, great. So if you want some curly-style boxing, then... Uh, then go for it. Let's talk a little bit more about being an American. One thing that you could do and still be an American at this point is be a literal Nazi. Um, not saying like, you know, Nazi as a metaphor, like a grammar Nazi. Literal Nazis. Six and a half months before Adolf Hitler invaded Poland, New York City's Madison Square Garden hosted a rally to celebrate the rise of Nazism. Inside, more than 20,000 attendees raised Nazi salutes towards a 30-foot-tall portrait of George Washington flanked by swastikas. Outside, police and some 100,000 protesters, good on you guys, gathered. Like, there are literal Nazis, like, in the streets. Steinbeck himself loved the idea of America as violent. A critic said it seems that violence in itself holds an inherent fascination for Steinbeck. Its appeal lies merely in the glitter of the knife, the hangings, shootings and mutilations with which his work is filled. Indeed, um, he kind of is really proud of this. When he was an old man in a book called Travels with Charlie, which is uh, essentially I'm an old man and I'm going in a camper van with my dog. He uh, decided to sum up his life. I thought I have always lived violently, drunk hugely, eaten too much or not at all, slept round the clock or missed two nights of sleeping, worked too hard or too long in glory, or slobbed for a time in utter laziness. I've lifted, pulled, chopped, climbed, made love with joy and taken my hangovers as a consequence, not as a punishment. For Steinbeck, it is a zest for life if we are violent then that means we are living life to its fullest maybe that's why he crammed so much in of mice and men maybe he wanted to make it more vivid we don't know i can't ask him so yeah thinking back to this american identity question i'm gonna stop getting sidetracked i'm gonna talk about americans it's kind of weird to try and talk about a country's identity like we get told well i'll get told maybe you don't depends who you are listening to this you get told there are a certain number of fundamental british values that you're supposed to promote in school they're the same ones that come up on the british citizenship test i think honest to gosh i have not actually looked at these since i helped my ex get citizenship a couple of years ago by teaching him his test Respect the rule of law, support your family, prevent extremism, tolerate others, I think, respect democracy. But none of these are, like, stereotypically British. 
when I've asked people what a British value should be, it's been like, oh, would you like a cup of tea as a response to every emotion? But we've got to try and get to grips with George and Lenny as Americans. So if you want to get a window into a white American rural identity, a summary might be the views of the KKK. Linda Gordon, who's written extensively about them, says never an aberration. The KKK might actually have enunciated values of which a majority of 1920s Americans agreed. The Klan was usually at its most popular in the US during the 1920s when its reach was nationwide, its members disproportionately middle class and many of its visible public activities geared to festivities, pageants and social gatherings. It packaged its noxious ideology as traditional small town values and wholesome fun. It's putting the disgusting bigotry with like a ribbon on it saying wholesome fun and everyone seems to be cool with it. All these um, white American, outside the big cities people were like, okay, cool. And it's a really odd idea for us now. The super boss, uh, imperial wizard of the KKK, Hiram Evans, said, We are a movement of the plain people, weak in matter of culture, intellectual support and trained leadership. We are demanding a return of power into the hands of the everyday not highly cultured, not overly intellectualised, not entirely unspoiled and de-Americanised average citizen of the old stock. And if I told you that and said it wasn't the KKK, it's just like a dude, I mean, it sounds nice, like the ordinary people should have power. Okay, cool. And the ordinary people in Steinbeck's books are empowered. They're, they're pretty average. I'm deliberately sidestepping the disgusting actions of the KKK because I'm going to talk about them next episode. I'm talking about Crooks and Curly's wife. And to save myself having to talk about lynchings two episodes in a row. For now, remember what I said about this white identity, power to the ordinary people, we're ordinary, but that is implied to be a bigotry against people who are not us. We are this white Protestant rural class thing, but there's this hidden, like, you're not us, so it's okay what we do to you. And believe me, I am not ignoring the disgusting stuff. Oh, it's so disgusting. I've read so much awful, awful things over the course of this research. But talking about it next time put it on hold put it on hold we also want to think about steinbeck's definition of american because i kind of think it sounds like george and i think this will be the final note i end this on that george and lenny are these quintessentially american characters he said one of the generalities most noted about americans is that we are a restless dissatisfied a searching people we brindle and buck under failure we go mad with dissatisfaction in the face of success we spend our time searching for security and hate it when we get it for the most part we're an intemperate people we eat too much when we can drink too much indulge us indulge our senses too much even in our so-called vices we are intemperate a teetotaler is not content not to drink he must uphold the drinking in the world a vegetarian among us would outlaw the eating of meat we work too hard and many die under the strain. Then to make up for that, we play with the violence as suicidal. Excess of hope, excess of despair, excess of insular 
Ness isolation. Excess of trying for the dream. That makes George and Lenny truly American characters, and it's what makes Of Mice and Men, quote-unquote, a great American novel. Right, thank you very much. Thank you very much for your time. I will come back to you next week. Remember, the book that goes along with this series is now in its second full draft. That will hopefully be out to you before the end of 2019. You can get my books on Jekyll and Hyde, Christmas Carol, and Sign of Four just by looking up the full context and the title of the book. STR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.com and Patreon slash Straight Talking English if you would like to support the show. Thank you very, very, very much for your time. What's eating those guys? I will see you next time. <laughs>